We had people coming knocking on our door. I literally just told a handful of people and they, you know, one of them was my supplier that I was thinking about selling it. And I had multiple offers right away. Amazing. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's The Wolf. Today in the show, we have Jennifer and James Spear, the owners of 10 Mathnasium Learning Centers in Texas. Through our conversation, James and Jennifer speak about the benefits of burning the ships and how that helps you commit to your business venture. They also told me about why focusing so much on their first location before expanding has enabled a lot quicker growth now that they have the experience and knowledge of the business inside and out. And of their 10 locations, eight of them have been from acquisitions. So while building their first two locations helped them learn the model, they explain why that's now enabled them to grow faster via acquisition. I hope you enjoy the conversation. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by The Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. So you, you guys own, what, you just got your 10th Mathnasium, is that right? We did, yes, yes. And, June 1. And it's all in Texas, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, we did, for a brief uh, moment of insanity, we did buy one in- I don't uh, count that one. In LA. I don't really? count that one. We owned it for two weeks, flipped it, got out there. We went in, James, well, James went insane. It's, it's a pretty crazy story, James but went uh, we won't go into it on this. Yes, uh, let's not. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed that you were able to find a buyer within two weeks of starting owning it. But uh, we can. That's part of the insane part of the story. That's part of the story. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe maybe we'll get there at, at the end or something. But um, yeah, I guess let's let's start with the Texas locations. So, when did you buy your first one? How long ago was that? So, 2011. Yeah. We started in 2011. Okay. And what were you guys doing before then? We had a uh, automotive uh, maintenance business, so we had, it was a mobile auto service business. And that was your own, or was that a franchise as well? It was ours that we were looking to franchise it. We were looking to go to a multi-unit operation and then into franchising, but we ended up reeling back and then just buying into a franchise. Okay, cool. And, and have, have either of you ever been a W-2 employee, or have you guys kind of been doing your own thing for a while? Yeah, well, we, yeah, we were W-2 employees like a long time ago, but yeah. we've been self-employed for 20, yeah. I'm, 25 I'm a, years. I was a W-2 employee enough to save up to start my next business. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I was never going to work. For, I mean, I, whenever I do work for somebody, I was always the best and I always excel, excelled really quickly into management, but it was always just to save money to start my next venture. Gotcha. And, and so when you moved from the automotive business that was your own. Did you guys sell that or retain it when you went into Mathnasium? No, we, no. no, originally my intention was to retain it because it was doing so well, but we worked as a team and to have her come out of the business and have to replace her, I was almost going to have to double the business in order to make it worth it. 
And so with that and plus then growing the growing magnesium, the, it was, you know, we had split attention. Yeah. And so we weren't, weren't going to be able to focus um, so, in the same place. And so it broke our heart to have to sell the baby. I cried. I did. I cried. It was terrible on the day. But you know how sometimes things just happen and you know it's right because it falls into place. We had that business sold within two weeks. Damn, that is quick. That's that's impressive. Did you use a broker or was it all like off market deal? We had people come just, in knocking on our door. I literally just told a handful of people. And they, you know, one of them was my supplier that I was thinking about selling it. And I had multiple offers right away. Amazing. And when you moved from that business to Mathnasium, was there any hesitations given that you guys were the sole owners of the automotive business? And, you know, moving into a franchise, right? I mean, you got to deal with the franchisor, you got some royalties. I mean, how, how'd you, how was that palatable to you guys? Well, when you're buying into a franchise, you know you're buying into business systems that have been proven. And after going through the startup process and building it and running it for 10 years, I mean, we understood what was involved in the process of building a business from scratch. And so buying into a business system that was already developed, that already had the product and service already in place that I didn't have to worry about perfecting or making it my own. That was attractive. Now, was it worth 10%? I mean, that's always the struggle. When you're looking at a business model and they want to take their piece, you're always questioning, is that worth it? But for us, when we started researching, and James is the one that found Mathnasium in the first place, but when we started researching it, we just, we fell in love with the mission of, hey, kids are struggling with math and how can we help? We want to be able to help and uplift and make these kids' lives better. And that hit hard with me. And so we just pushed hard. You know, it was nice not having to come up with all the systems and not have to having to do much thought work. I mean, there's still a lot of, of work on our end because you're still a, a business owner, but just not having to think of the, you know, come up with all this curriculum that was already there. That's That was worth it for me. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of business owners I speak to who, you know, are uh, small independent business owners versus franchise, they normally hesitate and have a lot of just worries about getting into the franchise, mainly because, right, they're used to doing things their way. They don't have to pay a royalty. But this is kind of the first time I've heard, you know, if I kind of understood both of you correctly, where because you ran your own business, you actually like really appreciated and could resonate with the fact that like Mathnasium's already done a lot of the hard work because you had to do that yourself with the automotive business. And it seemed like that kind of actually helped you along into at least getting into an industry probably, right, that you didn't have prior experience in. One of the other things, when you start up a business on your own, you can have a big ego and you can think that, okay, I can do this, I can do it anywhere. And a lot of people go from small business into franchising and that's one of the things that brings them down is that their ego gets in the way and they don't allow the system to be able to work. And outside of this, I've got a, an advertising agency where I serve the franchise. And what that does is that puts me in conversations with hundreds of other franchisees. And so I get to see a really different perspective, kind of your perspective in conversations with hundreds of different mindsets and personalities. And the ones that I see that perform the best, I can usually spot them a mile away because in their mindset, it's about letting the system work. You know, the system that's come before them, 
letting it work, and then just applying themselves to it. The ones that tend to struggle are the ones with the larger egos that think that I've been the president of this, or I've excelled here, or I went to this university, I'm going to ace this. And they don't then, submit themselves to the system. You know, two or three years later, they've bled out their capital and are sitting in a position where they have to submit themselves to the system in order to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I definitely think they're, especially with a franchise like Mathnasium, that's really had incredible, at least system growth. I mean, thousand plus units across the country today. And it gets to a certain point with a franchise where if there's that many locations and the average on the average franchises are performing well, that it behooves you to, to just trust the process there and follow the system. Because a lot of the times, you know, and I've heard this, people will suggest ideas or try things, but at a certain point, the franchisor will say no, because they've already done those things and they know, hey, this actually doesn't work. We see why you're thinking that. So yeah, I hear you. And that's kind of, I think, probably a personality. Like, I think the lesson there is if you're thinking of getting into franchises, just make sure you have the personality to kind of, like you said, follow the system and not want to do things your way because you can't get into trouble for sure. So when you got into Mathnasium too, I heard Jennifer speak about how you guys fell in love with the mission, but was there anything else that made Mathnasium stand out? Because I mean, there's thousands of franchises in the country. It's a long, if you're not sure what you're doing, right, you can get kind of lost in, in all the options out there. So how'd you narrow it down? So, well, because we needed help. <laughs> That's why. That's how we found Mathnasium. We had our own business. We were self-employed, but we weren't tied to a location. We were mobile. So we had a pretty flexible lifestyle. And at the time, we had two daughters as well. And I homeschooled them because with our lifestyle, there was no way I could actually send them to school and be able to pick them up after school in a timely manner. So we, we homeschooled them. Uh, other reasons, too, but that's what we decided to do. And I love math. I get math. I understood math. And for my first daughter, math came easy for her. I could put math in her and it stayed. My second daughter, on the other hand, not so much. She she and I butted heads. I just, I could not put math in her head and make it stick. And we would fight and we would scream and we would yell and we would cry. And so as a, as a husband, that's a fixer. I like to fix things. I did my thing. I'm hammering away on the computer, trying to figure out how can I solve this problem? And as homeschoolers, you know, sometimes it's just as any easy a fix as switch curriculums because you're not stuck with one curriculum that you have to, you can do whatever you want. And so, you know, I was looking at other curriculums, but I'm like, nope, this is not going to work. I don't like this. I don't like the way they did this. And so we just, I kept going, but it was not fun at all. And the more I tried, the more she resisted. Right. You know, like the old saying, you can't be a prophet in your own land, but I realized that uh, we had to find outside help and I started looking and I found the business model, but there was nothing local. It was in Houston, which was an hour and a half away from us. We lived in BC, Bryan College Station at the time. Okay. And so I showed it to her and she's like, oh, okay, that's nice. But I'm like, no, 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 no. Look at it again. But as a way of transitioning out of our automotive business and into. No, that's, that's not what you said originally. <laughs> This system works. You know, he's just reading reviews. This system works. We need to go talk to them and see, you know, will this work for Michelle? Well, that's so, what was going on in my head. But that's what I came out of your mouth. That's what came out of your mouth, his mouth. Okay. So, <laughs> so we go, you know, I'm desperate. And so we go visit and we spent two hours with the uh, owner in the woodlands, a wonderful guy. And he, you know, we are so grateful that he took the time to talk to us as parents, you know, first as parents, but then James started asking the businessy questions about the 
the franchise and and how, what did he like about it? What did he not like about it? And so on our way home, then our conversation went to, okay, why don't we have one here in Bryan College Station? Because we have Texas A&M, you know, huge engineering school and they need math people. We could find math people to be instructors. And so we kept poking at it and we contacted Mathnasium and got in. So the initial discovery, discovery day. day. And so we went, went and visited. And at that time, Mathnasium, they were like in year seven, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so the yeah. the CEO, the president yeah. and the director of education they were in the office with you. Yeah, it was all that personal attention because it was small. And so we just, we fell, I fell in love with Larry. I mean, the way that we teach percents, after I heard that, I'm like, take my money. Here, here's a check. <laughs> take it. Because it's so pivotal and the method is so simple and it just makes so much sense. I've had so many parents say, why don't they teach this in school? And yeah, I don't know. It is, uh, and I'm not asking for it because I know that's kind of like the secret sauce of Mathnasium, but right, it is like a proprietary training method. Maybe I've heard vaguely the story, but do you mind giving some background just because I know it's a founding of three and they all had different expertise. Like one of them was a teacher, right? Yes. Right. Yeah, Larry was a teacher. And more more importantly, he had his son was so gifted in math. He's trying to upper level math concepts to a kindergartner where, you know, a lot of times a kindergartner doesn't, you know, this would be like four or five, six years away from us, away from in the learning process. But he was trying to understand those things. So he had to find ways to explain it so that it made sense, not just not the technical terms, because there's too much unpacking that needs to be done. Right. So like something basic, like if you were to try to explain to as an adult, if you were to try to explain the concept of half to a second grader, a seven-year-old. Or even know, a kindergartner. Yeah, they can understand it, especially if they have siblings. But something as simple as just saying two parts the same. Yeah, I would I would talk about like cutting, cutting a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in half or something like that. Exactly, <laughs> but you used the word half in your explanation. And if you didn't know what half meant, it doesn't make sense. Right. And so using having to use the uh, the vocabulary of the kids at the level that they're at, I mean, that's one of the key aspects of why the system works as well as it does is because we're gauging where the students are and, and trying to understand how they learn and what their capacity is at that moment. And that goes to, you know, why we kind of fell in love with the mission and what we do is because we saw so much success so quickly. And the reason behind it was Larry's method, yep. uh, Larry Martinek. I mean, and if you look, if you go to the, the mathnasium.com website, they've got a video where it's Larry talking in his own words about where about he came from and what he's done. I mean, I'm not going to try to rehash that here. I mean, he does it so well, but you know, his son passed away. Um, and so this became his legacy. Yeah. Wow. Did not know yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. And I mean, kudos to them. You know, we can, talk about later, but I know they had like an acquisition recently. So that was probably a special moment to have just built something so incredible in the last, you know, 20 or so years. But yeah, I mean, I've heard from I've spoken to a number of franchisees, you know, through past work, and everyone seems to really align with that mission. So I, I feel like that's probably got to be coming through and coming down from the top with Larry, which is pretty awesome to see. Right. And if you've spoken with the CEO and anybody in leadership at Mathnasium, the heart is really what comes through. Yeah, it seems like just a lot of passion from everyone involved, which is great. And 
just looking at when you purchased that first mathnasium and built it, you know, a big question a lot of people have is kind of like, you know, how do you get that first one? And I feel like that's the hardest, you know, typically, right? And for people who don't know, Mathnasium is actually on the lower end of the investment spectrum compared to a lot of brick and mortar franchises. You know, I believe it's around a hundred to $150,000 investment range. So, you know, compared to other guests I've had in this show, like five guys, which is can be over a million dollars. You know, this is on the lower end. How did you did you guys get SBA financing? Did the sale of your business help? Or, you know, how did you kind of go about it? Yeah, we had some savings and then the sale of our business. And then we just worked ourselves hard. Yeah, when you burn a bridge, you know, when you burn your ships, right, there's no backing out. And so you've got to be successful. And so we just went all out. We did everything we could in order to be successful. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was actually one point in there after we opened up our second center that James went back and got a job because we were just having trouble, you know, making payroll and paying our bills at the same time. So we just did what we had to do to make it work. Yeah. Now, our staff didn't know. We don't brag about that. But I just wanted to make sure that everything was covered. But on top of that, if you don't build yourself a position in the company to where you're actively working every day, then you can either become a distraction in your company or spend money. And I couldn't afford to do either one of those things. And or so, undermine the people that you've hired. To, right. You know, you don't allow them to do their job. And that's right. probably one of the more dangerous ones. Right. And so instead of sitting at home and watching Netflix and reading to the end of the internet, I decided, you know what, let me just go get a job. And I did that for how long? Two About years? A year, a year, year and, and a half. A year and a half. And, um, not necessarily to make money. I mean, I did, but uh, it was to keep me out of the way of messing things up, but also just to make sure that things stayed financed, things stayed running. Interesting. So when you first started with that first location, I mean, what was the role set up? You know, like were either of you in there being like the primary teacher? Not necessarily the primary teacher, but I was the director. I was the one that was running the center. I would talk to the parents, assess the students, get things going, train the instructors. So we had we started out with a staff of like three or four and grew from there. But I ran that center for three years. Right. Your primary focus whenever you start your first unit, your first location, is understanding the business systems. I mean, how to run the business effectively and efficiently and to get it right. Yeah. Because you can really build in some broken systems and not even really know it. And the way that our system works um, in education is on the consumer side, the conversation changes throughout the school year. And so what's important to a parent right now as we're going into summer is not the same thing that's important to them in October. And so going through a full year cycle, you have a better understanding of what your consumer's needs are and you can address it. So if you grow too quickly, you may not have a full understanding of what your product and service is and how to best service the customers. And so what we set out to do is to master the number one, you know, get number one right. That way, when and if we went to number two. Our goal was to have 10 yeah. uh, units in 10 years. Yeah. Originally, that's that was James's initial goal. And you hit it, right? Uh, no, so uh, it, it was 10 years. 11 years. 11 years. 11, <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll take it. That's, that's still pretty awesome. But I mean, I can hear the experience in both your voices as you're talking about it, right? Like the difference between summer months and October. I mean, just for me, not being intimately familiar with magnesium, that's not on my mind. So how long was it 
How long did you operate location number one before jumping to the second one? So we opened number one in August of 2011, and then we opened number two in April of 2014. So it took us about three years, but we really were trying to focus on making sure that we got the first one right. And in that process, in the last year, it was, okay, you know, now if we're going to be moving to multi-center, what has to be different? Because having one center versus having two centers is hugely different. And sometimes people don't realize that you've got to build in communication skills, you know, a lot of communication processes, because me telling my center director, hey, do this, they may hear something completely different. I've got this picture in my head of this is what they're going to do, but that may not be what they picture it doing. And then, so they do it their way thinking, yeah, this is exactly what Jennifer wants. And I'm like, what are you doing? That's not right. And it's not their fault because I didn't communicate clearly enough. And, you know, that it took a lot of trial and error to figure that out. I think it shows patience that it was close to three years before you moved on to a second location. You know, especially if you have a goal of 10 and 10 years, I mean, that weighs on yeah, you. Yeah, there's like, some urgency there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? We just knew that if we duplicated broken processes, it was going to be harder to fix it on the back end. Either that or we wouldn't even get there because it would all fall apart. Yeah. No, definitely. And, and so, you know, in order to get to 10, you have to realize pretty quickly that you can't be the show. You can't do everything. And so we had to document everything that we did so that we knew what we were doing correctly and we knew where we needed. And, and the other thing is just knowing your numbers, charting everything out, understanding, benchmarking, baselining, so that you could see if you made a decision, if it took you the wrong way, you knew quickly and you could back it out and you can go the other way. And so understanding early on in the business, I mean, it's a math business, right? If you're not watching the numbers, you're pretty crazy. <laughs> That's a good yeah, point. Yeah. Numbers, you know, my, my mantra is trash in, trash out. Right. So, you know, if it says, oh yeah, just split that up evenly between, you know, if I'm trying to allocate something, <laughs> split it up evenly. No, it didn't I go need evenly. to know because <laughs> I, I know it didn't go evenly. Colby knows he's a victim of my trash in, trash out speech. <laughs> gotcha. So you, when you get the second one in April of 2014, did you have the systems in place to operate too, or did you kind of get the second and then it was like, oh God, like what, this is way harder. We, we had, had most of them in, but- We had what we thought we needed. We made adjustments. And, and we realized pretty quickly that going from one to two in a business uh, like this is a lot like getting punched in the face and not seeing it coming. Uh, there was so much that we didn't know that we didn't know that we just had to be ready to pivot and move quickly and to understand that failure was part of the process. We, we're big proponents of failure's not fatal. Just keep moving and understand that uh, it's part of the learning process. Yeah. I mean, that's what we teach our kids here at Mathnasium is that failure's okay. You know, this is a place where it's safe to fail because that's part of the learning process and you have to fall down a few times before you can walk normally. Yeah, to build your confidence. And I think for us, it's, you know, okay, we know we're going to fail. We accept that. And then the next question is, how fast do we get back up and pivot? Yeah. How fast can we learn our lesson? How fast can we get back on top? Yeah. And, and I mean, what kind of challenges just from a higher level did you kind of fall into uh, with that second location? You know, were you understaffed? Was, I don't know, maybe you felt like you were stretched thin on marketing for the second location? You know, what was going on? 
the biggest thing was the fact that, you know, Bryan College Station is a Twin Cities. And so our first location was in Bryan. The second one was in College Station. Well, the reason and the first one was in Bryan is because there was no commercial locations in College Station unless you needed a grocery store. Yeah. So, you know, that needed to grow. But when we opened our College Station location, we ended up gutting the Bryan Center. You know, it had 100 students. When we opened College Station, we took half of those students to College Station because they were actually coming from College Station. Oh, so wow. So instead of having, you know, a center that's running great and then one that's we're growing, then we had two that were like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was challenging, but we were able to grow the College Station Center fast enough to overcome that. Well, this is also about the same time that I decided I need to get a job. Yes, yeah, so that's <laughs> we needed help with our own personal bills. <laughs> you effectively doubled your, you know, fixed costs with a second location, and then you kind of just cut the performance of the first one in half. Wow! Exactly, what we did, and we weren't. We knew that we were going to end up cutting into the first one, but we didn't think it was going to be that bad. It was more severe than you anticipated. So what was the remedy? You just really dialed in the marketing efforts on each location and eventually it rose up over time? Yeah, dialed in the marketing efforts, but also understanding how to segment the business enough to know where our weaknesses were. I mean, we were doing SWOT analysis all the time where you're looking at strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So we knew exactly where we needed to be working based on the highest priority. We didn't try to boil the ocean. We didn't try to do everything at the same time. We just, okay, what is the highest priority? Let's focus there and fix that. And then we move to the next highest priority. Because it's a long process from parent needs help with math homework to we're sitting in a chair in front of an, an, a center director doing an assessment. There's, it's a pretty good time gap there. And there's a lot of pieces that go into it. And so we had to break down, okay, you know, from parent getting onto our website to actually contacting us. What's that rate there? Or how many people are we losing? And then once they contact us, what's our booking rate? Are we getting them for an assessment? So we could work on that number if that number was off. You know, So we had to set so many benchmarks along the way. We can take a look and know exactly if something's broken. Okay, we need to fix this little bit here and not trying to fix the whole thing. Right. A lot of times people in a sales process, they'll say, I'm getting in leads, but my closing rate is 20%, 30%. And they think that they got to fix their closing and they don't have any clue. And that's a conversation I have a lot with other franchisees. And when I work with them on segmenting out their business, they find out that, well, maybe they just need to work on their phone skills on getting more people in or, or refine their process on the assessment. And maybe they need to be more articulate in the assessment process. So. No, definitely. I have a sales background myself and I think just, I mean, there's so many variables in a deal process, right? Like maybe you're getting a lot, lot of leads in, but if they're not the right leads, they're not high quality, maybe you need to focus on tar on your targeting of leads. And it could, the issue could be at the top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. You really got to think critically to figure out what's going on. Well, so when you get the two locations, you know, you kind of work through it, they're performing better. I'm curious, like geographically, how far was the third location from the other two? Did you say like, let's get far away so we don't have that issue again or? No, yeah. actually we had our franchise business consultants. And so that's our liaison from between us and our headquarters. Um, he said, have you guys ever thought about buying one? And we're like, I don't know, tell me what you got. And there was a uh, owner that was an hour and a half away from us. He's wanting to sell. And I thought about you guys first. And we're like, hmm, okay, well, you know, 
And so, you know, we thought about it, pros, cons, all that stuff. We always, we always analyze everything before we jump in. We don't just, I know sometimes for our staff, it looks like we're going crazy and just doing like all kinds of stuff, but we do think about things on the back end a lot. And so we decided, you know what, let's do this. I mean, this will be our next step because we've built two of them from the ground up and it's a long, hard process. It's not easy, especially where we were. Nobody knew who Mathnasium was. They had never heard that before. And so when we would go out to marketing events, it would, they'd be like, we, we're and Jennifer with Mathnasium. And they're like, math what? What do, you guys, what do you guys do? <laughs> yeah. So um, we were having to build that brand. And that takes a long time. And so the location that popped up is an hour and a half away, a uh, center that was underperforming. And we realized pretty quickly what the weaknesses were. And we saw that everything that we've done to this point, we knew that we could bring a lot of value to that location. And so we uh, acquired it and we found out that buying a resale really compressed everything in into a shorter amount of time. And we were able to make money so much faster. Yep. And so we ended up moving that to a different location And that accelerated its growth. And we realized, okay, we have a system, we have a process. And we know what we're looking for. You know, we were starting to learn that, okay, if a center is having trouble here, here, and here, we know how to fix that. You know, we just put this in place and we can fix that. And I think we decided, you know, from now on, we're not going to build any, we're not going to build any from scratch. We're just going to buy resales. Interesting. And so, all right. So first two locations were new builds. The third you acquired and have, has every single one been an acquisition since? Yeah, everyone, everyone has been an acquisition since. Now we have given some consideration to building again, but it's not going to be our primary focus. We've been able to specialize in centers that have been struggling. It really is kind of our comfort zone now. We know the value that we can bring and we know how to identify areas of the business that are broken. And so when we go in and we're analyzing what's going on, it's gotten to be pretty routine for us. I mean, we've acquired three locations in the last six months and every single, well, I mean, one we just bought uh, a few days ago, but the two previous, they've already seen significant growth. And so we know that our systems are working. And more importantly, is the people that we've built up as a supporting organization that support each one of the centers are such high quality that Nothing can fall through the cracks and we're watching all the numbers all the time. Now, once after we got that third one, our next step, we bought two at the same time. Yeah, we we were crazy. Yeah, we were like, why not? Why not? Three hours away. Three three hours away. Great idea. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we try to step things up as we go. You know, we're not like to keep things the same. You know, there's Um, that there's that thing. Don't uh, don't go where you've already grown out of or where you've already outgrown. I mean, that's kind of been our our thing is let's continue to stretch ourselves. Yeah, keep growing. And But at that point, we had to rethink our structure and how we were doing things because when we got there, it's like, okay, I, we can't do everything on our own. So we had to start segmenting things and put specialists in place. And our first one was our lead specialist, Amanda. She's amazing on the phone. She is like the poster child for, for what, you, what, your, what a parent should hear when they call Mathnasium. She's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Given the mix of buying versus building, 
like if you could go back, would you start acquiring locations from the start? Or do you think that the learnings from having to build things from scratch were just too invaluable? And like, that's why you're able to acquire and turn these locations around? Absolutely. We had to learn what we didn't know. And we had to figure ourselves out, you know, buying into a franchise into Mathnasium, we had, they had systems and they had processes, but we had to figure out what worked for us too. Cause you know, sometimes some of the things that they had in place, we were like, uh, I think we could do better here. So we were always trying to improve and make things better. And we had to go through that, that struggle to figure that out. If we would have acquired one, we would have fallen into the, this is what they're doing type of scenario. And I don't think we would have been nearly, we would not be at the place we are right now because of that. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. And it's, it's like such a classic debate in small business, but it, it, you know, franchises are a little different, right? So like, and I'm talking about the, the buy versus build. I have a book right here. It's called buy versus build. Like it's like part of the Bible for small business owners, but like franchises, right? Even though if you're buying a franchise, you still have to, as you guys did, build it from scratch, but it is a little different in that, you know, it's a replicable model and you already have proof of concept out there via however other many locations there are. So to me, it's a little bit of a different argument than just, should I, you know, start my own coffee shop or should I try to find one in my market, an independent one in my market that's up for sale and already has cash flow. But it, it's always interesting to hear, like, uh, you know, for you guys, it sounds like you're very much now on the path of, hey, acquiring is easier versus building. And, you know, I'm curious, like, did you ever at a certain point, at a certain number of locations kind of just say, okay, like we're rolling, we know what we're doing now. Let's just like, we know the playbook and we're still going, you know, like, was it four locations, five, six? At what point did you, if ever say like, all right, we got this. I think once we had five locations and we adjusted our structure to have the um, support staff that we needed in each of our places. It kind of goes a little deeper than that. It's, you have to make a decision. Are we going to stay at five or are we going to grow beyond? Because if you are going to continue growing, then you got to make sure that you have a uh, supporting structure in order to continue to scale. And then you've also got to build that supporting structure so that it can scale and it doesn't get, it, it doesn't become the bottleneck. And so instead of building the typical corporate structure, we decided let's just rethink this whole thing. And so what we've done is we've built a group of specialists So it's not a hierarchy like corporate structure like you would normally see. It's a collection of specialists that's interdependent on each other. So Colby here is, you know, he's our marketing specialist, but he is interdependent on uh, other members of our team in order to be successful at what he does. He doesn't answer to them. They don't answer to him, but they need each other in order to be successful. There's there's a synergy there when they work together. That's interesting. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of these multi-unit owners that I talk to, that the typical like just general structure is a manager per store and then like an area director that basically oversees, you know, maybe three to six stores, regardless of the brand of the industry. That seems to be just how the corporate hierarchy goes for these multi-unit operators. But sounds like you guys aren't doing that. It's a little different. No, we don't, we aren't. And one thing that we, we realize is the, the director that's sitting in the chair you know, we ask ourselves, what's their responsibility? What do we want them to be excellent at? And it's creating that culture that's in our center. It's speaking with parents. It's enrolling students. It's making sure students are happy. It's student retention. That's what we want them to focus on. We don't want them necessarily to focus on 
getting, going out and doing marketing events. Now they do go out after Colby has set them up, but they just show up. You know, they don't have to do a lot of the legwork. You know, we don't want them to have to worry about training the instructors. They're a part of it, but that's not their main role. You know, it allows them, again, to specialize and be awesome at a couple of things, you know, being nines at three things versus being sixes at 10 things. Yeah, no, definitely. It's really important, you know, and sometimes being a generalist is better. Sometimes being a specialist is better. So that's a creative way, though, to structure the organization. That's pretty interesting. I know you guys just acquired your your 10th location within a few days, so you're not to uh, put you on the spot. But any plans for the future to like more mathnasiums, other franchise brands, or, you know, your goal was 10 and 10 uh, locations. Is that it? You think you're happy with this? No, I mean, in the beginning, it was 10 and 10 years. That was the target. And, you know, we've achieved that. But you really, if you have something that works and you want to attract the best talent possible, you've got to be a growing, thriving organization. And in order to keep that going, I had to set a vision for our group that was much bigger. And for a couple of different reasons. One, I wanted people that came into our organization, whether they were at the bottom level instructors or whether they were in management, they needed to know that there was a place to grow to and that there was always going to be a place to challenge them. The other thing is that I knew I needed to challenge our thought process and mindset. And if I set a number out there that what I thought could break our systems, that's what I needed to do. And so I put a number out there. I said, all right, let's do 40 within the next 10 years. I think that probably is too small, but it was big enough to where I thought it would break our current systems and processes to the point where we had to rethink everything. And once our team got over the shock of that and realized that I was serious And on top of that, what would it take for us to acquire five centers simultaneously? Again, it's scared the fool uh, out of our team. But if we go through the mental process of that acquisition and of that growth, then there are no tires on a football field during a game, right? But during practice, they're flipping and dragging tires. But if, if you practice hard, then you can play fun. And so that's where we're at now is we're going through the mindset of building that going through the thinking lifting process. Then we know that whenever it's playtime, then we're going to be playing fun because we've already built it in our minds. I love that. I think that's uh, a great quote. If you practice hard, you can play fun. And yeah, there's like a, I've been getting into like Navy SEALs and there's this guy, David Goggins. Uh, oh, yeah, extremely. Extreme ownership. Yeah, right? Jocko, Jocko. Big fan of him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some quote. I don't know if it's from one of those guys, but it's like, you know, it says you don't default to like your potential. You default to like the levels of your training, which I think that kind of speaks to the philosophy you guys have, which is pretty cool. Well, all right. Hey, we're coming to the end here. So, last question I want to ask is I know. You know, Mathnasium had just got acquired at the end of 2021. And again, for those not familiar, a thousand plus locations across the country. The acquisition amount was not disclosed, but you can imagine it was a, a very large amount. We're talking high eight figures, probably possibly low nine figures. And it was Rourke Capital who bought them, who owns brands like Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Baskin Robbins, Carvel, Cinnabon. You know, they're very involved in tons of different franchises. So 
I want to ask, have you noticed a difference? Because it's a big fear of franchise owners is that if they're going to buy a brand and then there's an acquisition, the ownership changes, you know, I've just known that's a fear. Uh, has it been smooth uh, as far as you guys can say, given that you've been on both sides of the different owners? Uh, so far, honestly, we haven't seen too many changes coming down down the pike at us. There was basically the things that we noticed that stuck out ahead of time were there was a brand refresh and some billing changes. Uh, yeah, but, like uh, minor bookkeeping adjustments that had to be made that they wanted made. Um but nothing major yet. And we have a pretty really good relationship with members of home office and with our franchise business consultant. And they have not expressed any concern yet. So we don't really think there's a need to be concerned. Yeah. I think members of the organization that did fear have left. And I think that we're in the process of rebuilding those parts. But really just looking at the brands that Rourke has and the growth that they've seen, and some of our new stepbrothers and sisters, uh, other business owners. I'm kind of excited about the future because seeing how Rourke has combined different brands like Duncan and Baskin Robbins. Yeah. And there's Cinnabon and Slotsky's. They've combined and teamed up brands. And one of the aspects that I've always been troubled with on this brand is that we're open five hours a day. We pay rent on a location in a high-end retail location, 24 hours a day, but we're only able to use it five hours a day. So it's not like I can open a deli here part-time or a yoga studio. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a learning center. And so that has to be done after school. But seeing how Primrose is one of the brands that's a work brand, you know, what are ways where they have a vision of teaming up with that brand? So, you know, those are questions that go through my mind as I'm looking down the road and trying to think creatively as to how this can impact us. I'm really excited about the direction. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, one of the first guests I had on the podcast was uh, he owned six Mellow Mushroom pizza franchises, but he talked a lot about this concept of unused capacity and just trying to find those in his business so that he could maximize his capacity. And for him, it, he noticed that, you know, as a pizza shop, he they were opening at 11 a.m., but they weren't really making money unless it was peak lunch hours or peak dinner hours. And he ended up building a massive catering revenue stream. So then as soon as they came in in the morning, they were just prepping orders that were going to go out at lunch because, you know, he was paying rent at that time anyway. He had staff members in rather than sitting on their hands. Now they're making pizzas to go out at lunchtime. So, yeah, that's interesting. I, I wonder there's probably there's got to be something you can do there. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm like. And they, you know, co with the whole work remote movement, you guys probably have a lot of open desks. Maybe there's a co-working play there. Like, I, I don't know. It's not necessarily collaborating with another brand, but that's just something that popped into my head. But um, yeah, well, hey, look, guys, uh, this was uh, super cool to, to talk to you and learn your story. Really appreciate you coming on. You know, if folks want to follow you along, is there anywhere online, maybe it's Twitter or LinkedIn or somewhere where they can kind of reach out and just uh, watch you grow? I mean, I'm on uh, LinkedIn. It's James, uh, James Spear on LinkedIn. Uh, Jennifer stays pretty incognito, so good luck finding her. You might find a picture of her <laughs> smart, on our website. Very smart move. Yeah. I've got uh, progress of our growth on there, and if they want to reach out, uh, I'm available. Love it. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll link to that profile in the show notes. And yeah, thanks again for coming on, guys. We'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you for having us. We had fun. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. 
So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. Thank you.